If you got a Bible this morning, if you could open it up to the book of Philippians. I'm going to take a little break from our study in the book of Ecclesiastes for Memorial Day weekend, uh, but also uh, kind of for my own mental health. <laughs> it's, it's a heavy book, right? Have you guys noticed that Ecclesiastes is, it's kind of deep. Uh, it's, it's a little bit dark. It's a little moody. Uh, and, and studying it, uh, all week long, week after week, uh, it's, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to intentionally make us evaluate all of the things that we think are so important and so meaningful and so crucial. And then he just tears those things apart. Uh, it's, 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 it's a tough one. Uh, because it, again, because he wants us to be introspective. He wants us to think about the things that we put so much of our, of our value into in this life. He, he wants to create in us this discontentment, at, at least a discontentment with the, with the temporary things of this world so that we have a growing desire, hunger, thirst for things that are eternal and things that matter and things that will last. Because those are the things that, that we'll find real joy in, in, in this life. Now, the problem that Ecclesiastes is attempting to unwind is this inborn drive that every single human being has to search for something eternal. Right, He even says there in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is a God-given desire for eternity. But instead of seeking for lasting things, we keep going back to these fleeting, temporary, earthly things. For, for different reasons. But because, because they're fun, uh, be, because we keep thinking that they're going to be the source of joy and hope that's lasting and there never are. Uh, because sometimes because we just don't know any better. We don't know that there is something better. We keep falling for the same lie that Eve fell for. Your relationship with God is not enough. There's more. He's holding out on you. God's not really giving you everything that you need. Try, try this other fruit instead. Then you'll find real meaning and value and joy. And, and every sense, ever since then, every, every single one of us keeps falling for that same lie. We keep trying to find our joy in our work or in our play or in something else other than God. And we keep getting angry because it doesn't work and things seem so unfair and uneven. And we keep searching for joy only to find these little temporary spots of happiness we can't hold on to. But what if, what if like real lasting abiding joy was possible? What if it was a real thing that we could have like in this life? We know we're going to have it in heaven because heaven's going to be awesome. But what if it was possible now? I think it is. 
So today, instead of looking at the next section in Ecclesiastes, I want us to spend some time thinking about joy. And, and to do that, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this book of the Bible that is all about joy. And that word joy in one form or another is used like 16 times throughout the book of Philippians. It's a theme that just keeps springing up over and over again. And we know where Paul was during the writing of that, right? He's in prison. He's facing possible death. It's not like he's in a happy place. But yet, even in the midst of all of that that trial, he's still writing about joy. Look at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We just sang about that, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's all kinds of different commands that Paul gives us that we we find in the Bible. Obey God, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. But this commandment here is kind of different than the rest of them, right? He commands us here for the second and third time in this letter to rejoice. The, the first time is found back at the very beginning of chapter 3 where he uses the exact same words. Rejoice in the Lord. Look what he says at the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 18. It's, it's almost like this is a section out of Ecclesiastes. Look what Paul says. He says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, And now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. There are people who who are glorying in, searching for uh, uh, earthly things. That's what they're wallowing in. But we, we're different. We have a different citizenship. We're people who are going to rejoice, not in, not in earthly things, but in heavenly things. That's where our joy is. That's where it's found. We're people who rejoice in the Lord. Right? We will rejoice in the Lord. Amen? You could say amen. I know you're Baptists, but... Right? That's what we want to do. We want to rejoice in the Lord always, all the time. And we do most, most, not maybe not all the time, okay, but most of the sometimes, every now and then we rejoice in the Lord, right? But here in chapter four, Paul reiterates this command, and it is a command. 
that we would rejoice in the Lord always. Not in other things, but in the Lord always. And then, and then he explains what that looks like in our lives. If we're doing it right, if we're actually living lives where we always consistently are rejoicing in the Lord, here's what we look like. First, it's going to be marked with a gentle spirit. And, and that just makes sense, right? And Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. A person whose joy is in the Lord and not in earthly things isn't going to be greedy. They aren't going to be selfish. They aren't going to be frustrated when they don't get the things that they want. They're not going to, they're not going to be mad at God because they didn't get their way. Somebody whose joy is in the Lord is going to trust God with everything they have, is going to use whatever God gives them to, for His glory. They're not going to be frustrated and bitter and angry. They're going to be gentle and patient and kind and loving, compassionate. Their life is not going to be marked by complaining and arguing. But, but words of grace and hope and blessing are going to come out of their mouth. If we're living a life of, of continual rejoicing, then the everyday frustrations that bother most people aren't going to phase us at all. There, there is real comfort, real peace from knowing that that song that we sang about Jesus being right there with us in the midst of whatever tough thing, like we know that that's true. That enables us to be calm and be gentle and be patient through whatever trial God is using to build perseverance and endurance in us. We can handle it. So let your gentleness be known by all men. Be known as a gentle person. Next, Paul tells us that a joyful life will be marked by thanksgiving and prayer. Verse 6 again, he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's almost like Paul's uh, anticipating our objection that's going to come, right? Like, I can't be joyful. I can't rejoice all the time, Paul. Don't you know what I'm going through? Like, my life is awful right now. I'm, I have all of these different things that are towering in on me and like my, my job is a mess and and my my marriage is difficult and my kids are horrible and everything's awful how could i rejoice when my life is like this my health is bad i don't have anything going good for me I'm too filled with worry and fear to rejoice paul counters that right off the bat by instructing us not to be worried about anything but instead to spend our time praying to God and thanking Him for what He's going to do, even, even through, in the midst of our struggle. And we are all going to have difficulties. Again, Paul's writing this from prison. But the way we deal with those trials is not by worrying, but by handing them over to God and saying, God, I need You to deal with this. I need You to be with me through this. And the worst part is that most of the time, I'll be honest, most of the time, the, the baggage that we lug around, the things that we stress out and worry about are things that we have absolutely no control over, right? That, that we can't really 
do anything to fix it by worrying about it. But we can find peace and hope and rest when we hand those things over to a God who we know is in control and is at work and is not absent. I think, I think that regular and honest communication with God is the only way that we can live anxiety-free, worry-free lives. Because that's, that's the way in which we actively shake loose of this, this stronghold of, of fear. It's, it's, it's through prayer. And sometimes that's all we have. Sometimes we feel like that's, that's our last resort, but it works. And when we make our requests known to God, we're making this, this important statement. We're acknowledging that we believe in God's presence with us and His power and His providence. It's saying, God, we trust You to be in control. I'm going to stop trying to be in control of everything. And I think it's through this prayer and thanksgiving that we become more acutely aware of God's presence with us, right? You, like, have you been there where you can feel God's presence with you? And, and it's a peace that does surpass understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's hard to explain, but you know that He's there, that He's near. It's in that spot that we find joy. The end result of this will be peace. Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you come to this place where you feel like your heart and your mind might both break from fear and from hurt and from frustration. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the fact that you don't have to go through it alone. Rejoice in the fact that through faithful prayer and supplication, there's a God who hears you. Rejoice in the fact that the peace of God is there and it will guard you. It will... It will protect you. It will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. A peace is possible in this messed up, heavy, hard, difficult world. It's possible because God says, I'll give it to you. It's a gift. Just, just have to ask. Contentment isn't out of our reach, right? We, we know this because just a few verses down in Philippians we, we got this passage that I, we've all read. You've heard me read it a million times. Philippians 4.11 I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's a secret because most people don't know. They haven't figured it out. Paul says, I have. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. What he's saying is that I can weather any circumstance. I can handle anything that life throws at me because I have Jesus standing right next to me in the fire. He's there. He's present. 
I can do all things. And, and, and you already know that that doesn't mean that I can play basketball really well and that I can fly. That's not what the all things means. It means I can handle any trial because my strength comes from Jesus Christ. That's, that's the source of our, of our joy. A living and active relationship with Jesus. It's found when, when He is the object of our affection and our hope instead of everything else that this world has to offer. I know we have, we've all believed God. We've placed our faith in Jesus. But a lot of times, the thing that, that robs us of a joyful life is when we continue to chase after temporary earthly things. Again, that's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Or when we place our hopes and our dreams in other people because they inevitably fail us. Or when we spend too much trying, uh, time trying to make ourselves happy. We exchange joy, real joy, for something much weaker. And I, again, I think that's, that's the real problem, that too many Christians have fallen into the same old trap as unbelievers. And we've exchanged the joy of the Lord for the happiness from the world. And man, those are two very different things. We've, we've allowed that philosophy of like, oh, if it feels good, do it, to seduce us. The problem, again, that the preacher of Ecclesiastes points out is that it doesn't ever feel good for very long. It fades quickly and it leaves us empty. It's stuck in this never-ending cycle of chasing the next thing that might make us feel good for a minute. It's vanity, vanity, futility, chasing after the wind. And the, the huge difference between the worthless pursuit of happiness out there and the joy of the Lord that Paul is calling us to here, again, is the object of our joy. Because the world simply does not have anything that can last. There's, there's not a person or a hobby or an endeavor or a vacation or anything that's able to bring us that lasting joy. The only place that's found is in our relationship with Jesus. When Christ is at the center of our lives, then everything else takes on new meaning and new purpose and new life. Our marriages become a deeper source of joy and our kids become blessings. And even in our struggles and in our failures, we find joy because we know that ultimately God is in control even there. And that kind of joyful life is something that, that we learn and, and that is fostered in community. It, because joyful living is so much easier to do when you're around other people who have their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, right? It's so much easier to keep our focus where it needs to be when the other people around you aren't chasing after other things. And we have this community of people who love each other and who can hold each other accountable and encourage one another, lift each other up. Constantly throughout the epistles, Paul is writing to people and telling them 
You, church, are the source of my joy because of our shared relationship with Jesus Christ, because we're together in Christ. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we need to stop chasing after uh, earthly things, uh, the things that God gives us and blesses us with. Let's use them to deepen our relationship with our Heavenly Father through the midst of difficulties and trials in life, things that don't seem fair. Understand that God is right there with us and through everything, the good things and the bad things, rejoice in the Lord always. That's our calling. That's our command. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let me close with Romans 15.13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank You for these words of instruction and reminder to us that we are to be people who are rejoicing in the Lord always, through all things, no matter what the circumstance is. Not because our circumstances are great, not because the things going on around us are awesome, but because You are a great God. Because You are awesome to save. You're right there with us through it all. Help us not to forget that. Help us not to lose the joy that we found through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank You for saving us and sealing us and filling us with Your Spirit and giving us this hope. May it overflow. May it spread to everybody around us, God. May we be lights that point people to You. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.